Last week we quit church and we came back. Aren't you glad? I was afraid the place would be empty this morning. Uh, but of course, uh, <laughs> it was a little late for service. That Anybody miss an hour's sleep last night? And you came anyway. Way to go, way to go. Uh, I just am so thankful for the way you responded to the message last Sunday. Um, all week long, I have been hearing one person after another say, you know, I love the idea that our church can be uh, not so institutional, but more missional. And uh, not so predictable, but more adventuresome. And, and especially not, not superficial, but vulnerable. And not, not comfortable, but courageous. And isn't it great when God does something like that? And la- all week long, Pastor Shane and I have been talking about what God is saying to us and to us. And we've decided that um, throughout this Easter season and continuing on for a few weeks after, there are more things the Lord wants to talk to us about learning to quit. Things that don't matter. Things that aren't helpful. But things we often do. So that we can take up and accept the good things God wants to do. Today I want to talk about comparing. I mean, I, I need to quit comparing, and you do too. I mean, comparing seems like a pretty simple thing, really. Not that big a deal. Everybody does it, right? Um, we notice someone else. We notice what they're wearing. We notice what they're driving. We notice where they live. And then we notice what <laughs> we're wearing and what we're driving and where we live. And typically, if it's not as good as that other person, we end up getting down on ourselves. Or the opposite can happen. We can become full of ourselves, you know. I've got it better. <laughs> I've got more. i got nicer. i got newer. And we, we lose our love for other people because we become obsessed with ourselves. And I remember as a teenager, uh, well, actually I was probably in my 20s, uh, when the Living Bible came out. Anybody remember the first Living Bible? It had this green padded cover on it. And uh, I remember reading in the Living Bible, there was one verse in the New Testament that used a word I wasn't supposed to use when I grew up at our house. And uh, then I read the Good News translation, and the same verse used the same word, the word that that I was told I shouldn't use. And uh, you probably told your kids they shouldn't use it either. And that word is stupid, right? Now, what verse in the Bible has the word stupid in it? Well, it is 2 Corinthians 10, 12. And most translations say unwise or foolish, right? That's a little nicer way of saying it. And here's the scripture. Oh, don't worry. We don't say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. And what's the last two words? How ignorant. So there's an outline there. Would you take it, that that long sheet? And we're going to fill in those blanks. And you could fill in foolish. You could fill in ignorant. Or if your mother will let you, you could write the word stupid. Okay? All right? It is foolish. It is ignorant. I, we, I pulled out all of my Greek study books off the shelf and went through them this week. I thought, what does that original word mean? It means without any understanding. 
I think the best translation would be brain dead. <laughs> you are brain dead if you constantly compare yourselves with other people because the standard God wants for us is not anyone else but you. You are handmade by God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he doesn't want you to be anybody but you. Aren't you glad? Well, there's four of us who are glad, okay? <laughs> and that's probably about the truth of it. Because as foolish as it is to compare, um, let's do a little mass confession. If you hear yourself on this list anywhere, okay? If you've ever compared how you look to how someone else looks, what you're wearing what someone else is wearing, what you're driving to what someone else is driving, where you're living to where someone else is living, um, your GPA or you know test scores to somebody else, um, your retirement account <laughs> or lack thereof to anyone. If any of those things are anything you've ever compared, would you raise that hand? I'm looking for unanimity. <laughs> All right, thank you. Um, would anybody here say, and I'm particularly gifted at comparing. It's something I'm really, really good at, right? I'm really, really good at it. I am really, really good at it, as foolish as it is. I mean, just imagine if you went to a morning swim class, you know, and uh, the instructor got a, in the, as the class was coming to an end, said, now, just for fun, I'd like everybody in the class today to swim two lengths of the pool, all the way down and all the way back, and I'll just notice your form and comment on how you swim. And if you were the one who got in the lane closest to the instructor and swam your lungs out so that you could be the first one down and the first one back, so that the instructor would say, you are a really good swimmer, how foolish would that be? Yeah, that was my life this week. I, I ran out of breath. I couldn't breathe for the rest of the class. But I won, all right? I won. I was the fastest one in the class that day. <laughs> How foolish. How foolish. How foolish. Um, it's the story of us. But the, the, the really scary thing is that it goes beyond foolish to dangerous. Uh, it is the root of what we talked about not too long ago, the deadly sin of envy. The deadly sin of envy is comparing myself to other people and you can do that one of two ways. You can compare yourself to other people and um, sort of want what they have, right? I, I want to be thin. I want to have nicer hair. I want to have a red sports car, which all of those things I would like, okay? Um, or I can compare myself to other people and want them not to have what they have, right? I want to take it away from them. Can you see it's going to a dark place, right? Uh, comparison always leads to trouble. That's our second fill-in on your paper there. Comparison always leads to trouble. It's all over the Bible. Who, what, was the, what was the second sin in the Bible? The first one was Adam and Eve eating that apple. The second one involved two brothers. Their names were Cain and Abel. Abel gave a sacrifice to God that he accepted. Cain wasn't. Cain compared. Cain became envious. 
and Cain killed his brother. Cindy and Sonia lived in Iowa in a small town. They were both uh, classmates, friends, and they were beautiful. Uh, Cindy became the homecoming queen. Sonia became Miss Hospitality. They both dated a guy named Jim. Jim was the prize catch in town. And when the time came that after dating both of them, Jim had to decide, Jim chose Sonia. And Cindy couldn't take it. Cindy felt rejected. She became obsessed. She became resentful. And so one August night, Miss Hospitality choked the homecoming queen to death with a leather belt. And all of their lives were in ruins. Jacob and Esau, trouble, trouble, trouble. Let's look at their story. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac had a taste for wild game, that's the dad, loved Esau, but Rebekah, that's the mom, loved Jacob. There's a world of hurt in that text. If you know their story, for the rest of their lives, they competed against one another to the point where they almost killed each other until they eventually reconciled toward the end of their lives. And we know, we read it in the New Testament. We read the, the disciples of Jesus, right? Coming to him saying, which one of us is better? <laughs> which one of us will, could, could we sit at your right hand and your left hand? And it's, it's all over scripture and it's all over our lives. And it isn't just a little thing. It eats people up and it ruins relationship and it destroys family and it eats our souls. And as kind of, you know, simple as the topic is, I'd like to remind us all today that God wants to spare us from that. He wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to teach us a new and better way. And the better way is also illustrated in Scripture. Um, John the Baptist had been on the scene for several years before Jesus went public. And John had disciples just like Jesus had disciples. And let's look at the text. This is, uh, these are the disciples of John. Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, and his name would be anybody? Jesus. In church, the right answer is almost always Jesus. Okay? So let's do that again. The guy was identified as the Messiah, and his name was Jesus, okay, is also baptizing people. What? I thought that was John's gig. He was famous for that, right? And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us in Paris. And John replied, I love this, I love this. No one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. Hang on. He's the Messiah. 
God gave that to him. I'm not the Messiah, but God gave something to me, and then he tells them what it is. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. And we'll keep going. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend, in our culture, that would be like the best man, right? The bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Wow, I love that. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. How many times do we compare ourselves to a particular person? You know, who, who is it that you tend to compare to? So, you know, a, a brother, a sister, a family member, somebody that you know fairly well. Somebody maybe just doing a little bit better than you right now. And you let it get to you. You let it eat at you. You allow it, if you don't, if you're not careful and don't give it to God, to turn into something dark and destructive. And how do you get out of it? By having God's perspective. I am who I am by the grace of God. I have a role to play in the world, and so do you. And your role is not my role, and my role is not your role. I am to be the person God created me to be and be happy for you when God blesses you. I love that. Uh, John's comment, let's go back to that scripture. I am filled with joy at his success. May God give us that attitude and that spirit. When I was a young pastor, I had an older, wiser pastor come pull me aside and say, Glenn, you know the Bible verse that says, as Christians, we should uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You ever heard that verse? He said, you'll find out most Christians are way better at weeping than they are at rejoicing. That's kind of a little more innate for us to feel bad when somebody feels bad but to be happy for somebody else's success when they get a raise and you don't? When their family seems to be, you know, all sweetness and light and yours isn't? Being happy for them? That's a God thing. That is, a, that is my life, my soul is being changed by Jesus. I want to quit comparing and start celebrating. I want to quit comparing and start enjoying the goodness of God in the other people around me. I don't have to win every time. Did you notice what John said? I am not the Messiah. Would you turn to somebody and say, I'm not the Messiah. <laughs> and then you could say, and you're not either. <laughs> Tell them that. You're not either. <laughs> All right. Are you, are you better? Are you feeling a little better? Yeah. Yeah. Because... You know, I love how the Bible, the scriptures are so real. Um, you know, some people ask me sometimes, you know, you're, you're a smart guy. Um, you know, you, you seem to really believe the Bible and this Christian stuff. Like, you know, did you just turn off your brain somewhere sometime and just believe it all? No. No, I, I, I haven't left my brain. I... I look at the Bible and I say, you know, if, if it was a fake, it wouldn't be so real. If it was a fake, the flaws wouldn't be in there. 
it was a fake, the, the fallenness of the followers of Jesus would have been sort of whitewashed, you know? So Jesus is at the Last Supper. And first of all, one of the 12 is going to betray him. And secondly, another one of the 12, one of the inner three, one of his main guys, is going to deny him. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows three times, twice, you, twice you will be not deny me three times. And big, bold, brash Peter says, not me, not me, never, 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 never. We know the story, how that when Jesus is on trial and Peter's nearby and three times in a row he's asked if he knows Jesus and every time he says no. And now we're on the other side of the cross. And now we're on the other side of the resurrection and Jesus has come back. He's come out of the empty tomb like we're going to celebrate in two weeks. And he comes back just for Peter. I love it, don't you, that Peter got a second chance? Uh, is anybody here? Ever need a second chance with God? <laughs> and another chance, and another chance, right? And that's why that story's in there. I love that. So Jesus comes back for Peter, and he tells him three times, do you love me? He asks him three times, do you love me? Peter says, I know, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And at the end of that, they're sort of like, okay, Peter's back. Peter's back. Peter's in. And then Jesus says to him, and while you're receiving this word from me, I just want to tell you, Peter, that when you die, it will be a terrible and painful death. You will be bound. You will be delivered. And you will suffer for my name. But I will be with you. And he gives Peter like this word, right? And you know Peter's soul, Peter's mind, Peter's heart has just got to be reeling with what has just happened. And then we read this text. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now, the disciple whom Jesus loved is, well, if we read the next phrase, this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the Last Supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Now, we know who that was. That was John. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll notice this not-so-friendly rivalry between Peter and John. They were two of the main men among the followers of Jesus. Peter just denied the Lord. John was the one who Jesus loved. Uh, we're talking about the Celtic way. The Celtic Christians loved the Apostle John. And they loved the, the uh, Gospel of John more than the other, th other, the other three, right? Of the four Gospels, the Celtic Christians loved the Gospel of John. Why? Because John had leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper, the Celtic believers said, John heard Jesus' heart. John had leaned right over. He heard the heartbeat of Jesus. John had a special thing going with Jesus. And Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter. As good as Peter is, look what he does. 
Peter saw him, John, and he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? What? What? Peter is all worried about John when he should be focused on Jesus, right? Peter had just been restored. Peter has just been told how he's going to die. But Peter has to compare. Peter has to say, what about him? You told me how I'm going to die. How is John going to die? And what does Jesus say? If I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Get your eyes off everybody else. Doesn't matter what I do in other people's lives. Doesn't matter if I bless them. Doesn't matter if they go through a hard time. Doesn't matter if you're going to have a, a great rest of your life or a tough rest of your life. It's not about other people. It's about following me. Whenever I get to the point where I become obsessed with anyone or anything else, when I want to be like somebody else, when I wish, you know, I was pastoring some huge church, you know, you know, for four years, I was blessed to pastor the largest free Methodist church in the United States. And I don't anymore. And I am exactly where God wants me. And I can take my identity from how many people show up here every Sunday. Or I can take my identity out of the call of God in my life. To say, yes, Lord. Wherever, whenever, whatever. And there may be bigger churches other places, but I don't think there's any better. Amen? Amen. This is where God wants me at this moment in my life. And I choose it. And I embrace it. And I let any comparison with anyone else, I let it go. And I don't do that because, you know, I'm all that smart or all that mature or all that nice. I do it because I want to follow Jesus. And the good news about being a Christ follower is you don't do it by yourself. You don't do it in human strength. You invite him to come in and live in you and love through you and rejoice when other people are blessed because you're not the Messiah, he is. I'm not the Messiah, he is. This is not my church, this is his church, right? Your life is not your own, you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your life. So we're going to close and here's the challenge. I quit comparing. And I start following. And instead of looking around at everybody else, I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that's where we start. And then we say, and you know, God, the people around me, the people I tend to compare, the people I tend to maybe be envious of, this week especially, I bless them. I, I want the best for them. I want, I want you to unleash your blessing on somebody else this week, and I want to cheer them on. I quit comparing, and I start following with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord God, as we close this part of the service, we're going to hear more beautiful music in just a minute, but in this moment, would your Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts,
And Lord, for all of us here who compare too much, who become envious at times, who've allowed distance and difference to come between us and people we care about, would you forgive us? Come and fill us. Live your life in us. Love through us. Lord, if there's anyone here who's never really surrendered to you, may today be their moment of faith. Jesus, come and fill me, forgive me, live in me, and make me more like you. God, I believe you hear that prayer. And Lord, this week, as we think about family and friends and people at work, people in the neighborhood, people in our extended family, we bless them in Jesus' name. We refuse to compete. We refuse to be envious. And we choose to be their fan and their partner, their cheerleader. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone agreed and said, Amen.